I remember my first real paycheck. Oh, I remember my first real paycheck. 1984 from McDonald's. I had to don a polyester, oh, awful thing. But I was hired to be the grease cook. I sat in front of that McDonald's fryer, and I would take this metal divot thing, and I would sear those McDonald hamburgers. And I sweated over that oven, that, that fry, whatever it is, grease pit, ugh, several hours a day, several days a week. I couldn't wait to get my first paycheck. By the way, when you're 16 and you're fighting acne, Getting covered in grease from the waist up several days a week is not good for your complexion. I'm just saying. And the day came, and the envelope came, and I was so excited because I was good at math. I knew exactly what that paycheck was going to be because I could, I could multiply hourly rate times hours worked. Bing! Paycheck. And I remember opening up that envelope and opening up that thing. What? 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 It, it was less. The federal government reached in and took money out. The state of Indiana reached in and took money out. My money. Something called FICA reached in and took money out. And then something else called Medicare. Medicare's for old people. I was 16. I didn't need Medicare. What are they taking out of my check for? And I remember going to my dad and going, Dad, they made a mistake. Look at this. Something's messed up. And he had the biggest grin on his face. <laughs> he said, son, welcome to the adult world. You'll never, never bring home what you earn. Oh. My wife is a public school teacher. And on paper, on paper, she makes more than double, more than double what she made in 1990, her first year of teaching. But her paycheck is only $150 more a paycheck than it was in 1990. That's $3,900 a year. Trust me, she wasn't making eight grand in 1990. She's making a little more than that. So, and again, it's the federal government. The teacher's retirement, I could lease a Cadillac Escalade, probably two of them, for what the Kentucky teacher's retirement comes in. And I always joke with Jenny, you think you'll ever see that? Because, you know, Kentucky's teacher's retirement thing is insolvent. It's 50th out of the 50 states in terms of solvency. And she's like, don't talk about that to me. You know, because it's her money. She's earned it. She's worked hard for it. And somebody reached in and took it out. It's like, so... I know, I know what it is to struggle. I know what it is to get a bill and open it up and groan. I, I know these things. And I actually believe it's harder today to make a go at middle-class life than it was 20 or 40 years ago. Um, if, but the, the thing is, despite that, despite that, I have more today than I did 20 years ago. I do. And it's like uh, every five years, there's just a little bit more. Maybe it's just a little bit more income or a little bit more stuff around the house or another device I thought I couldn't live without. Um, if you're, if you're middle-aged, you've discovered this, right? Because when you were first married or when you were young, you only had, right, one car. And maybe now today you've got two or some of you got like three because you've got a teenage driver or something like that. And, and remember the day, remember no one had cell phones but like rich people? And, and now it's like the family plan and you're like, who's using all the minutes? 
you used all the minutes this month, you know, right? So, I mean, over time, over time, you kind of, there's this tendency to accumulate a little bit of money and some stuff. In the early 1990s, they estimated that Americans had twice as much as they did 25 years earlier. Now, in order to make this message a little kid-friendly, as irony would have it, um, I have a show-and-tell segment. I brought along something that I use almost every day. Not just pants. These are Levi's. These are my Levi's. And, and so I, I use these almost every day, okay? So, and I brought them along. I brought along my regular Levi's and I brought along my retired Levi's. Do you know how they're retired? Do you know how you know if I have a retired pair? They're cutoffs. It's like recycling, okay? So this one's retired, okay? So I've got one, two, and I'm not kidding, three retired pairs. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, oh, eleven. <laughs> eleven plus three, that's fourteen. I gave John Mark two pairs over the summer. So that's 16. At the beginning of the summer, I had 16 pairs of Levi's. Let me ask you, astute, smart Americans, from your vantage point, and, and your opinion will not upset me. I won't go home and cry, I promise. But, but from your vantage point, just at a cursory glance, would you say that I might, I might have at least one pair of extra Levi's? Well, I didn't say if you laughed at me, I wouldn't go home and cry. <laughs> okay, so, so uh, just a show of hands, how many of you think I have at least one extra pair of Levi's? Wow. You're right, I do. I do. And you know the irony is, two weeks ago, do you know what website I was on looking at? Levi's. Because I had in my mind, I need another pair of Levi's. It was in my mind. And then... Because I had been studying the passage for today, I was like, Vanderpool, you do not need Levi's. Click, 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 get out of that website now. Bad Max. Okay? This plays out all the time with you and me. It plays out all the time with you and me. It does. We, we have this tendency on a month-to-month basis to think that we really don't have enough. We do. And, and that's because, in reality, some months are tight financially. And other months, like, we really can't pay the bills that we have. And so... There's this thing, and we do, and we feel this with intensity um, on an ongoing basis. And some of us are convinced that if we just had $75,000 a year, you know, if we could just be pulling in $75,000 a year, finally we'd be set. And then there's some of us in the room, right, that are kind of past that. And in and, and, and that sense, we're thinking, you know, if I could just get a million, if I just had a million dollars, then everything would be fine. Everything would be fine. Everything would be taken care of. And the funny thing is, um, we're always, we think we don't have enough. But here's like, right, here's, here's how it plays out in your life and in my life. If you've got Netflix streaming into your house, that's probably extra. If, if, if you buy coffee at Starbucks at least once a week, that's probably extra. I mean, if, if, if you bought games or, or ringtones for your phone, that's probably extra, okay? So as we start out this series on money and finances, um, I wanted to start off with the first biblical principle. And the first biblical principle is this. 
what you and I do with our extra, what you and I do with the money and stuff that we have, speaks in some measure to the condition of our heart. That, that money and what we do with money and our hearts are kind of interwoven. They're connected in some way. Jesus himself said this. In Matthew 6, he said, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus said this. And the thing is, you already believe this. You do. You already believe this. If someone has more than you, and they're a little bit stingy, don't you kind of make conclusions about the kind of person they are? Let me, let's say your parents are just loaded. Your mom and dad did really well in life. They're retired. They've got a, a second home somewhere. They travel extensively. That, you know, they, they, they're able to write checks or whatnot, and they, they call you and they tell you, hey, there's a family thing, Seattle, Washington, you got to be there, we need you to be there, you got to come, you know, and you've got to buy two plane tickets or five plane tickets, and, and they don't offer to help, they don't offer to subsidize the trip at all, you just got to, you just got to show up and do it, right? Isn't there a part of you in that moment that's making a judgment about mom or dad and whether or not they're generous or stingy? Um, I sat down uh, with a parent of somebody I know recently, and this person was talking about how um, they have this one retirement fund that because of their age, they're having to draw it down. It's required by law, a certain amount of money that comes out every year that they have to do. And so they're giving all this money to a seminary. And I happen to know their kids really well, and their kids are struggling. He was laid off of work, but not a penny of it goes to the kids. It all goes to the seminary in Texas. And I was like, what? And I'm not even in the family. And I was making judgments about the guy based on, you know, money and what he did with his money or didn't do with his money. It's a weird thing. If you've got a friend who's single and he's got two cars, he's got the little, you know, Prius that he goes in and out of work to, but then he's got the SUV for like the, you know, the fun things that he does, right? And your car is in an accident and you find out you didn't have the whole rental car thing rider on your insurance, but you got to get to work and you need a set of wheels and he's got two. And how many does he need on any given day? One. And you ask him to borrow one of his cars and he says to you, oh yeah, um, yeah, I, I, don't, <clears throat> I don't lend out ca my cars. In that moment, don't you make a judgment about him? So, all of us believe that money and hearts are connected. We all believe that anyway. And so the Bible has a lot to say about money. It has a lot to say about how you manage your money. And, and Jesus said more about money than he said about heaven and hell combined, believe it or not. We're going to look at a passage today that Jesus, uh, where Jesus is, is he's asked to settle a monetary dispute. So there's a, there's a money argument, and he's brought in to mitigate the two sides, all right? And it's found in Luke chapter 12. So if you brought a Bible or you want to open up your phone to Luke chapter 12, that's where we're going to be, Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Here's something to remember about Jesus and his ministry. Jesus did most of his teaching in a place called Galilee. Galilee was a little bit north of Jerusalem and all the action there. And Judea was not a place he wanted to live anyway. It wasn't the best Roman province. But all of the money, all of the wealth was in and around Jerusalem. Galilee didn't have anything. These people were fishermen. They were tradesmen. Uh, they were the working poor. 
They were the lowest level of middle class that you could get in the Roman Empire, and they were heavily taxed, okay? And so most of Jesus' teaching takes place in that context, and that's where he is in this encounter in Luke chapter 12. So let's pick it up and see what happens. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Then someone called from the crowd, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, Friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such a thing as that? And then he said, Beware. Guard against greed. Uh, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Now, this man shouts out a request in a crowd that's really packed. In verse 12, verse 1, this is what the Bible says. Meanwhile, the crowds, grew, the crowds grew until thousands were milling about. This is a huge amount of people. Jesus is teaching. It's in Galilee. The working poor, the lower levels, the people who don't have land or resources. And somebody from the crowd shouts out, Hey, hey, Rabbi, tell my brother not to be so stinking stingy. What he's doing isn't fair. Now, in the old world, the way it worked in the ancient world, if, if you left money, and if, since this is Galilee, it wouldn't have been a lot. Let's say it would have been $10,000. The older son, and you had two sons, the older son would have gotten $66,000. The younger son would have gotten $33,000. That's so fair, I know. Okay, so the younger brother is upset, and he's upset because it's unfair. If you've ever driven home from work, and you've thought to yourself or muttered to yourself, it is so not fair what I get paid, you're in good company. You're in good company. If you've ever uh, been paying bills, <clears throat> click authorized payment, click authorized payment, and you've muttered or thought to yourself, this is so not fair. You are not alone. You're in good company. Um, if you've ever watched, if, you, if, you, if you're a kid and you've ever watched your brother or sister open a Christmas gift that was so spectacular, and you look at the gift that you just opened and it is so lame, and you thought to yourself, this is not fair. You're in good company. Here's something that you may or may not have noticed about money. When it comes to money and stuff, it's not fair. When it comes to money and stuff, it's not fair. It's not fair who has what or that some people have more and some people have less. And it's always been that way. The people who want to, uh, money to be fair, in other words, everybody to be equal, are called the Marxists and communists. And that didn't work out too well. So for the rest of your life, money is not going to be fair. Okay? So you're in good company. But at the end of this little section, Jesus says this. Life is not measured by how much you own. All right? So let's get in. Jesus tells a story. All right? So let's go to the next verse. Jesus tells a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. And then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And then I'll have enough room to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have good enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Good advice. All right? The guy is a farmer. The people of Galilee would have totally understood this story that Jesus tells. He's had a bumper crop. I mean, it's rained. Everything has worked right, and he's got the mother load of a harvest. 
So he has got extra. And he's like, what do I do? What do I do? I've got, I've got extra. Oh my goodness, I'm, I need to dig out the basement. I need to clear out the attic. I need to rent some storage units. I've got so much, I can't, I can't put it in the cupboard. I need space for all of this stuff. I'm set, the kids are set, the grandkids are set. This is awesome. But notice what Jesus says in this story. Verse 20. But God said to him, You fool, you'll die this very night, then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. So, in telling this story, if you're in the crowd and you're from Galilee, you're thinking, what? Hey, hey, Jesus, you got the story wrong. That's what, I mean, this is the equivalent of, let me, let me retell this in 2013. A guy from Nicholasville raids his IRA account, and he, he gives $5,000 to a friend who's a tech geek. $5,000. The friend has $5,000 of his own to put together this internet thing that he's going to do. Three years later, it's about ready to go public. And the friend that he gave the $5,000 investment to says, I need to tell you that this IPO is going to be valued at $500 million. And even though you didn't do any work, you ponied up half the initial investment. So your stock, when we go public, is worth $250 million. You and I hear a story like that, and we go, Yo, what lucky guy, what a lucky guy. And so all of the people in the crowd are thinking the same thing, only they're using the word blessed. The guy is blessed. Look how God has blessed him. But Jesus, in telling the story, God's upset. So what is God upset about? I mean, what is the big deal? Well, the man is a fool because he thought the extra was just for him. He was a fool because he thought it was just for his consumption. In this story, money's not the problem. Jesus doesn't say, cursed is the man because he's rich. Being rich, apparently, is, is not a problem. The, the problem is what he does. The problem is he, he thought that all the extra, all the bumper crop was from him. So let me ask a question, okay, in light of this passage. And the question that you and I should ask ourselves, the one we should ask ourselves is, why do I have, why do I have, why do I have a house? Why do I have two cars? Why do I have 16 pairs of Levi's? Why, why do I have... Hmm. Now, now, that's not the question we typically ask. The question we typically ask is, why don't I have, right? This January, I sat down with Josh Lanier at a, at a Starbucks, and he takes something out of a pouch. Sorry, Josh, I didn't tell you I was going to tell the story. And he puts it... He puts this thing from heaven and Mount Olympus on the table and then click. It's a Microsoft Surface. And he starts taking notes. And I'm looking at it. And do you know what was going on in my mind? Why don't I have one of those? That's the question we normally ask. But the question we should ask is, why do I have? What's it for? Is its sole purpose my enjoyment? Okay? So, in light of this, I'm going to give you homework. And I'm going to give you homework every week, and I want you to do this homework. I want you to do this homework. This homework is important. So you have a green sheet that's in and around you. Pull out your little green sheet. 
I want you to track where your money goes over the next seven days, over the next 30 days. I want you to track every last penny that goes out. Track what you spend. Track where the money goes. Use this chart. If you're a techno geek, you can use Quicken. It's okay. But I want you to track it, and I want you to know gas, 36.25, Starbucks, 3.95, Applebee's, 56.25, Kentucky Utilities, 129 $129.39. $129 Write it down. Write it down. I've said this before, and some people blow me off because they're like, Max, I get a visa statement at the end of the month. Details everything. Andy Stanley put it this way. That's Visa tracking your money. That's not you tracking your money. And Visa tracking your money, they're doing it because they want your money. <laughs> okay? And they want you to pay interest on the money that you spend that, that's not even yours. Okay? So I want you to track it. Now, if you're a kid, if you're single, if you're a teenager, most especially if you're in college, I want you to do this. Want to know why? Mom and dad give you money, don't they? Hey, mom and dad. Oh, they do from time to time. Hey, mom. Hey, dad. I need $10 for. I need $20 for. I need $34 for. Okay? This, if you're in college and you're one of our Asbury students, I'm telling you, if you, between now and Thanksgiving, if you have a detailed list of every penny that you spent, and when you go home to hit up mom and dad for a little more, and, and you say, I'd like to refer you to spreadsheet 3A. And they look over this detailed thing. They will pee their pants. They will have a heart attack. They don't do this, okay? And so what happens typically when you ask mom and dad for money and they, ask, they say a question, well, what happened to the money I gave you? I don't know. This takes the fog and the I don't know away from all of that, okay? All right? Show them a detailed sheet, man. You probably leverage a little bit more bucks out of them. So why am I asking you to track spending? Why am I asking you to find out where your money's going? If what you do with money and stuff somehow is connected with your heart, and if somehow it, it, it reveals something about the condition of your heart, then you got to know where it's going to know something accurate about your heart, right? Right? Tracking will give you a picture of things that you care about. Now, if you're stressed, if, if finances stress you out, if they leave you feeling deflated or defeated and you want to be in a different place, you got to know where you are first in order to go someplace different, don't you? This is like a pin on a map. This is Garmin saying, you are here. This is telling you where you are, and it's the clearest way to know where you are, so don't blow off this assignment. you got to have an accurate picture. You can't do the whole, it seems to me, I think that, I feel like we eat out a lot, or I think that, blah, 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 blah. That's all fog. This, this is clarity, all right? A week, uh, a month ago today, I attended the memorial service for my friend Sue. My friend Sue died at age 41. And by any measuring stick of success that Americans use, just an average person who lived an average life who died a little young. Oh, well. She 
doesn't have a big house. They don't have tons of money or stuff. But I'm telling you, Sue got what we're talking about today. I'll tell you one story. Uh, one of the many weddings she did, she and Jenny got into an argument in my living room. Okay? This is how the argument went. Jenny to Sue. Sue, you need to charge more for this wedding that you're doing. I mean, between what, what they're paying you and, and the cost and outlay, da-da-da-da, you're going to put in 35 hours this week, your hands are going to hurt for three days, and you're going to make $20, and you've spent more than that in gas going to get these flowers. And Sue just chirped back, well, Jenny, you're, that's the pot calling the kettle black. And she's like, I'm not going to charge them more money. Da, 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 da. And here's, Sue was generous to a fault, generous with her life, generous with the money and stuff that God had put in her hands. Her funeral was packed. Her Facebook wall flooded because you don't measure. It's this line right here from, John, or from Luke 12. Um, life is not measured by how much you own. Boy, did she get that, right? So, you have your assignment. Designate your money terrorists. Consider your money terrorists. You are now the NSA and the CIA, and you are going to track it. You are going to track its every movements, just like Big Brother, and you are going to know exactly what it's doing and where it's going and who it's talking to.